So it's so good to have each and every one of you once again. Um, I'm going to continue with Unstoppable Kingdom, and of course that is uh, found on the church app, so you can track with us uh, on the church app. There's some words that are missing, and I wanted to just go back to Daniel chapter 2. It's such an interesting book as you look at Daniel, and maybe next week we'll look at chapter 7 that ties in with chapter 2, but it says in verse 31, your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. And the head of the statue was made of pure gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. And the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory, and in your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, and wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold, and after you another kingdom will arise inferior to yours, and next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. And just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. And as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Wow, that's powerful. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the arm, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. And then, of course, Nebuchadnezzar falls prostrate before Daniel and pays him honor. Wow, it's an amazing dream 
that Nebuchadnezzar had. Of course, he didn't tell anybody the dream, but he asked his magi, he asked his astrologers and all of those that were involved in witchcraft. He said, I need you to tell me what I dreamt. What I dreamt. And they said, man, what man can tell you what you dreamed? Unless you tell us the dream, how are we to tell you the interpretation? Not one of them could tell the king what he had dreamt, only Daniel. And of course, here we see this is a time in the history of Israel. They have just been captured by Babylon and now are taken into the Babylonian kingdom by the king who was King Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And of course, uh, it's this dream of, a, of an image. But his dream actually is the image of a man. It's the, it's the image of a man. And his dream also depicts the kingdoms of man. Every one of the head and then the arms and everything, uh, all of those dreams, all of, all of that image depicts the kingdoms of man. The first part of this image is the head. And here's my slide. It says the head is of gold which represents the Babylonian kingdom. So if we can have that slide up right now, the head is of gold, which represents the Babylonian kingdom. Well, how do we know this? Because Daniel said it in Daniel 2.38. He said, you are, O king, are the head of gold. So you, you're, the head, which is gold, is the Babylonian kingdom. And when we think about gold, like I said last week, it's, it's the most valuable of all natural elements. But actually, history tells us that Babylon was known as the city of gold, and gold was its trademark. And it's amazing when you look at history, Babylon was also the center of wealth and glory. And literally, gold flowed into the city from all the provinces that flowed into the Babylonian empire. As a matter of fact, not only did it come from there, but you remember when they captured Israel that Solomon had all this wealth that he had acquired, all the gold. So when they captured Israel and brought them into Babylon, they also brought all the gold that Solomon had acquired. And so Babylon became the wealthiest city in the then known world. And everything, they used, they used the gold to plate the temples, they used the gold to plate the altars, they used the gold to plate the shrines. Everything in that city was plated with gold. So much so that even the prophet Jeremiah, he prophesies in chapter 51 and verse 7, and he says, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. And then Jeremiah says something quite interesting about the glory and the wealth of Babylon. Isaiah 13, 19 says, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride. So even the prophets, I mean, it was known as this remarkable city, as this remarkable empire. But the next part of the image was the arms and the chest that was made of silver. That's my next slide. The next part of the image, arms and chest. And this part of the image represents the Medo-Persian kingdom. All right, how do we know this? Daniel doesn't say anything about it, but we know if you study history that after the Babylonian empire, the next empire to come into power was in fact the Medo-Persian one. 
And amazingly, the Medes and the Persians were known for their silver. It's amazing how history ties in with the Bible. King Xerxes uh, inherited vast amounts of silver from his father. And not only that, but he made all the people, when they paid their taxes, they had to pay their taxes in silver. So that's why the Medes and the Persian Empire was known as the Silver Empire. And the two arms folded represents the Medes that was under the rulership of Darius. And then the Persian, the other arm is the Persian uh, Empire under the rulership of Cyprus. And so, or Cyrus, and we know that these were, this was the empire that was in place when God spoke to Ezra to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem and also Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's quite amazing when you see how history fits in there, all right? So moving to the next part of the image, it was the belly and the thigh, and those parts were made of bronze. And this part of the image represents the Greek kingdom or the Grecian empire. How do we know that? Because, well, Daniel doesn't tell us, but we know that history does. And the Grecian empire, the Greek kingdom, was under the rulership of Alexander the Great. He was a formidable warrior, a mighty warrior, but this was the Grecian empire. And so history actually records and confirms that they were known as the brazen coated empire. When you look at history, you will see that it refers to the Greeks as the brazen coated empire. And the Greeks were experts in molding bronze. They knew how to use bronze. And so the soldiers had breastplates of bronze. The helmets were made of bronze. The shields that they carried were made of bronze. The swords were of bronze. Everything was made of bronze, okay? The next part of the image we come to are the two legs in the dream here, and these legs are made of iron. And this part of the image represents the Roman kingdom. And of course, Rome in its day was, was a powerful empire, powerful. I think about Paul when he went to the city of Rome and he saw the might and the splendor. I mean, even today when you go to Rome, there are artifacts throughout Rome uh, that are trophies of when Rome went into other empires, other countries, and they conquered them and they brought back these trophies. One of them is an obelisk, an obelisk that stands in one of the squares there in Rome. Uh, so Rome was a, was a phenomenal empire. And of course, Daniel doesn't mention the legs of iron as Rome. How do we know this? Because after the Grecian empire, we see the Roman empire. And the legs, when you talk about the legs, the legs are the longest part of the body, which shows that the Roman empire would last the longest. And of course, again, history proves that the Roman Empire lasted more than all the other kingdoms. And we see that there are two legs because later on, the Roman Empire splits into two divisions. We have the Western Roman Empire and the Eastern Roman Empire, all right? And it says here that these legs were made of iron. Interesting that iron is the strongest of all the elements mentioned so far. 
and that this iron is strong and it's crushing and it's bruising. And of course, when you think about the Roman Empire in those days, that's exactly what they were. I mean, they literally crushed their adversaries. They literally, they, they bruised them, they pulverized them, and they subdued them, and they broke them into all kinds of pieces, and such was the Roman Empire. And this was the same Roman Empire into which Jesus would be born. As a matter of fact, this was the same empire that introduced the most excruciating form of execution, which was crucifixion, all right? And then the next part of the image was the feet and the toes, and there it was made of a mixture of iron and clay, a mixture of of iron and clay. And this part of the image represents the kingdom of this world that we are presently in. Represents the kingdom of this world that we are presently in. Now, the feet are an extension of the legs, so we know that it'll be an extension of the kingdom of the Roman Empire. There will be the Roman Empire influence that is somehow connected to the feet. And just as the feet are connected to the legs, so the toes are connected to the feet. And so we see that there's a, a thin thread of connectivity from the Roman Empire coming in, all right? And we see here that the toes, there's 10 toes which are the final part or the end part of the human body. So what am I saying? This is my next slide that says, this is the feet, toes, kingdom to be revealed in the final stages of human history. All right? So how many toes on a human body? Ten. Because of the ten, we have an understanding that the kingdom that is being set up in this day and age will be a ten-kingdom empire, and it's going to be that same kingdom, ten-kingdom empire, that will be in existence when Jesus comes back again. Hallelujah! And so the toes are separated and divided, meaning an appearance of unity, but completely disunit, dis, disunited, as is iron and clay. doesn't mix. Try to mix it, but it comes across as being united, but very disunited. And of course, the iron is strong, but the clay is brittle. And of course, clay is just hardened earth. So this is basically, uh, the clay is, is the earth, hardened earth. So it's really the, the, the will of man and the mind of man and the motive of man at its very lowest, at its very lowest. This is the, the most fleshly that man can ever be will be manifested in this last kingdom that is currently being set up. Now you say, well, well, pastor, what exactly is this kingdom? Okay. Now, you know, during the years, I remember when I got saved, you know, there was talk about the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope as being the Antichrist. And I, I've literally seen it and heard it all. I remember in 1988, there was somebody that wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Well, here we are, 2021, and Jesus still hasn't returned, all right? 
And I know that, of course, there's been those that have spoken about Europe forming the uh, European Economic Union and all kinds of stuff, and that there will be 10 leaders. I think there are more than 10 countries that have joined uh, that union right now. But whatever it is and whoever it is, what they're moving to and where it's going is to a one world order. Now, how that's going to happen and who's going to be involved in that, I don't really know. And then if you tie this in with Daniel 7 and you see that fourth beast that has 10 horns and out of those 10 horns, there's one that emerges and takes down three and this one that emerges is going to have uh, be able to speak and it'll speak pompous things and it will basically rule and control and manipulate so out of this European economic union comes a new world order out of which will come this one person folks I don't really know how it's going to pan out all right, and I don't know if it's China, I don't know if it's Russia, I don't know if it's Timbuktu, I don't know who it is. The most important thing to understand is that essentially there are really two kingdoms that are involved right now on the, uh, on the platform. There are two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world that's under the sway of the devil. There is the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the question is, what kingdom are you a part of? Okay? And I want to say, even with this COVID thing and all these conspiracy theories, what, 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 what? Listen, the truth of the matter is that there has always been enmity between the woman's seed representing the bride and the church and the seed of the serpent, just like there was enmity between Isaac and Ishmael. But thank God this dream seen here in Daniel 2 doesn't end there. And I want to tell you that there is hope for you and I. Let's look at verse 34, Daniel 2 and 34 in the NIV. It says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out. So I want, you, I want you to forget about all the kingdoms. Forget about the, that's just giving you a history lesson. I've made you look very clever. But I want you to forget all about that and think about a rock that was cut out, not by human hands, and that this rock strikes the statue on its feet of iron and smashes everything. It, it smashes the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, every bit of it. All right, and the wind sweeps it away. And then what does it say there? But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. That's what I want you to focus on. Don't worry about who's who in the zoo. Don't worry about the Pope. Don't worry about Putin. Don't worry about anybody else out there. I want you to see that this rock that was struck became a huge mountain. And Jesus is the cut out rock that smites the image. Hallelujah. One of the greatest themes in the Bibles concerns the stone or the rock, both of which speak symbolically of Jesus. Jesus is the stone of stumbling, and he's the rock of offense. And you say, okay, when, when did this happen? This happened when Jesus was born of a virgin woman, and then he was wrapped up in the flesh. He was born of God. 
and the Son of God becomes the Son of Man, and then 33 and a years and a half years later, he was crucified on that tree. He who knew no sin became our sin, became a curse, so that we might become the righteousness of God. In that tomb, he was for three days and three nights, and then by the power of the Holy Ghost, he was brought back to life. Hallelujah. And that, ladies and gentlemen, family, friends, is the fulfillment of Genesis 3 and 15 that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, this is God speaking to the serpent, and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So when Jesus was crucified, that was the serpent bruising the heel of Jesus. But when Jesus rose three days later, he broke the devil's head. He crushed the serpent's head. Hallelujah. And that was the fulfillment of that. Praise God. And the rock that smites the image, the Bible says, becomes a huge mountain filling the whole earth. Oh, when did that happen? How did this mountain happen? The making of that mountain took place on the day of Pentecost. You know the story. Acts chapter 2, 120 in the upper room, and the Holy Ghost comes upon them, baptized in the Holy Ghost. They now begin to speak supernaturally, tongues given unto them. They go into Jerusalem, and it's a, a, a feast that's taking place, and God turns the natural festival into a supernatural Holy Ghost festival. And there were people there from all regions listening to these disciples that had just been baptized in fire and in the Holy Ghost. And they say, how is it that we're hearing them speaking in our own language? It was a supernatural demonstration of the kingdom of God, the forming of this mountain. Hallelujah. And that day, 3,000 got saved and the mountain got big. And then several days later, 5,000 got saved and the mountain got even bigger. And ever since Pentecost, that's my next slide, ever since Pentecost, the mountain has been growing. That mountain has been growing. It's getting bigger and bigger and it's spreading from place to place, from region to region, from city to city, from country to country. And I want to tell you, family, it's a mountain made up of all kinds of people from all cultures, all ethnicities, all tribes, all tongues, all whatever you want to call it. It's a mountain that's made up of all kinds of people. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, it's the picture that the Apostle John sees while he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos. In Revelation 7 and 9, it says, And these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, a great multitude, which no one could number. That's how big the number was. He says, Of all nations, of all tribes, of all peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Hallelujah. You know, as good as this is, though, I want to tell you the truth is that when you hear the word kingdom, immediately many different ideas and many different concepts and many different pictures come into people's minds. 
And I think it's because most of our concepts in life are as a result of three things, our culture, our social development, and then formal or informal education. And when you really get to think about it, family, we, you and I, we are products of our culture. We are products of our culture. And when we interpret the world, we interpret the world through our mental conditioning. So what does this mean? This means that the biblical concept of the kingdom in its original and purest sense has been lost to us in this modern day and age. And I wonder when people get saved, if they, are, if they really are saved at all. I, I, sometimes I wonder, you say, why, Pastor? Because you can't be really saved and not have the revelation of this amazing concept called the kingdom of God. And the truth is that really half of the people in the church world have really missed it. How do you know that? You say, well... I can hear the way they speak. Their speech gives them away. And then I can see the way that they act. Their actions will tell you a different story. You see, we're living in a generation where the true meaning of the greatest message that was ever told has not been fully understood and fully comprehended. And when we look to Jesus, because we've got to look to Jesus, man. He's our example. He's the one that we follow. And when you look to Jesus, you see there his first and his last public sermon was about the kingdom of God. The first and last public sermon of Jesus, you can look it up, Mark chapter 1. I won't read it for you. And then Acts 1, when he got taken up and he for 40 days, he reveals himself. The Bible says that in those, during those 40 days, he spoke to them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. His first sermon and his last sermon was about the kingdom of God. When you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's about 100 references of the kingdom. If it's Jesus not talking about the kingdom, you see about 100 times. Jesus not only taught and preached the kingdom of God, but he demonstrated its breakthrough into history. And then when you look on and you look at the, at the apostles and you ask yourself, well, what did they preach? Well, before and after Pentecost, guess what? They preached about the kingdom of God. And there's a whole lot of scriptures. Before uh, Jesus sent out his apostles, his disciples, he said, I want you to go. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After Pentecost, guess what they're doing? They're preaching the kingdom. You see Philip at Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And the Bible says, when they heard Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Come on now. Do you know something? That when you go to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, you'll discover something quite amazing. The very first thing that God gave mankind, Adam, was a kingdom. He put him in that garden. He formed man. And in Genesis 1:28, he said, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right there in that garden, God gave Adam a kingdom. He said, now I want you to populate this kingdom. I want you to increase this kingdom. I want the kingdom that's in heaven to be just like the kingdom that's on this earth. Your job your job. You're going to be my representation. You're going to be my representation of the kingdom of heaven, but it's going to be the kingdom of heaven on earth. And your job, Adam, is to extend. I want you to populate that, that earth with my heavenly kingdom. But of course, we know that Adam failed. And when he failed and sinned, not only was man's relationship, Adam's relationship with God messed up, but his rule over this kingdom was relinquished. And so when Jesus came to this earth, let me tell you, his objective was not just to bridge the gap between God and mankind, but his job, more importantly, was to reintroduce God's original intent for mankind, the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus' message his assignment, his passion, his purpose was not to establish a religion full of rituals and rules, but rather to introduce a kingdom. And everything Jesus said and did, his prayers, his teaching, all the healings and the miracles was focused on a kingdom, not a religion. Family, Jesus was preoccupied with the kingdom. It was his top priority, his heavenly mandate. His solution to the malnourished and bankrupt human spirit was never religion, never religion, but it was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And when he preached and people repented, the kingdom was demonstrated. When he prayed for the sick and they were healed, he was revealing the kingdom. Hallelujah. When he cast out devils, he told them the kingdom is at hand. Come on. Look at what he says in Luke 16, verse 16. He said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, since John came and he preached repentance, and now I'm here, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Hallelujah. Do you know something that when Jesus comes back again, he's not just coming for a church. Yes, he is. But he's coming for something far greater. He's coming to establish and reaffirm his kingdom. And the kingdom of God is bigger than the church. You've heard me say it before. A church is just the subset of a kingdom. It's part of the kingdom. But the kingdom mindset and the kingdom concept is far bigger. It's what I want you to get today. We are part of something bigger than just the Durban Christian Center. We are part of something far greater than all the churches that are here in Durban or there in the United States or there in the United Kingdom or there in New Zealand or Australia. We are part of something far bigger, far greater than the church. I want you to lift your hands right there in your home, right where you are, and say, I am part of something bigger than myself. Say that one more time. I am part of something bigger 
than myself. I am part, you, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Thank God for His church. But family, we're also part of God's kingdom. And as such, we are citizens of His kingdom with Jesus as the king. And citizens of a kingdom, it's a kingdom that is not earthly. It's not political. It's got nothing to do with the banking systems, nothing to do with the economic systems. It's part of a kingdom that is not part of any of the worldly kingdoms. It has no part of the feet and toes, no part of the iron and clay, no part of what they're trying to conjure up, whether it be in the European Economic Union, the new one world order, whatever it is that they are trying to get to do, doesn't really matter. You and I are not part of that kingdom not part of a kingdom that is like iron that crushes and bruises. We're not part of a kingdom that is hardened clay, that is the flesh of man at its worst. No, sir, you and I are part of a royal kingdom. You're part of a royal kingdom this morning. I'm looking at you today, and as I look at you through this camera, coming at you through the screen, I'm looking at royalty. Hello, royalty. Good morning, royalty. Good afternoon, royalty. And this kingdom is no ordinary kingdom. It's a supernatural kingdom because it took a supernatural birth to get you and I into it. And what's more, it was not cut out with human hands. Man has got nothing to do with this kingdom. It was cut out by God Himself. God made and God formed, and this kingdom that you and I are a part of is unstoppable. In other words, there's no power on earth, whether it be EFF power, DFF, GFF, whatever you want to call it. There is no power on this earth that can stop this kingdom from spreading and advancing and growing and increasing I want to tell you, just like in the dream of, of Nebuchadnezzar, that it's growing and it's filling the whole earth. <laughs> every part of this city, every part of your city, come on, that's what the kingdom is filling. It's filling every part of your neighborhood, every part of your community, filling every school, every university, every college of education. It's filling into all the hospitals and doctor's rooms. Every police station is being overwhelmed with the kingdom of God. It's filling every room in parliament, in the government. This mountain, this mountain keeps growing, keeps increasing. It's filling all the factories, every place of industry. It's filling all the media and advertising homes. It's filling up all the banks and place of commerce. And there is nothing, nothing that can stop it. Hallelujah. And you and I are part of this incredible kingdom. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for you and I as the church, but the church being a part of this kingdom. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Hallelujah. So I want you to know that you're part of something far greater 
far greater, far greater. Don't worry about the rhetoric. This is man trying to be his best. We are living in the toes, the ten toes and feet. This is the feet, toes era. This is, and you know what? Feet stink, don't they? This is man at his stinkiest. Man at the height of his fleshliness. That's what we're seeing. All the rhetoric. We're living in a day and age, actually, where right is wrong and wrong is right. It's amazing. But this is man who's at his best in the flesh. Can I say it one more time? So all the rhetoric, all that you're hearing out there is just man trying to be his best without God. And man without God is reduced to the level of a beast. But God's coming back for a kingdom, for a kingdom people. Hallelujah. And we're going to see Jesus coming back. And when he comes back, we're going to be ready. You're going to be ready. Hallelujah. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor, I heard you today. You spoke about how it's a supernatural kingdom. Yeah, that's right, because it took a supernatural birth to get you and I into this kingdom. We are citizens of a kingdom that has the king who is Jesus. Hallelujah. And the only way that you can get into it, you can't pay money. It's not about how good you are. What a wonderful man you are. What a great philanthropist you are. Listen, all your good that you've done can't buy you into this greatest kingdom that will eventually swallow up all the other kingdoms out there, whether it's gold, bronze, silver, iron, clay, whatever it is. It's man-made and it's coming to nothing. And the only kingdom that will survive is the kingdom of God. And you are either part of it or you are not. And I pray today that right now you would be open to responding to the call of God, calling you into His family, calling you to be a citizen of His kingdom, calling you to be a part of a royal family. Not royal because... You know, we've got some genealogy of some kings and queens, but royalty because we come out of a genealogy of which Christ is our king. And we are the seed of Abraham. And as the seed, we carry royalty. Our lineage is not of this world. It's of another world, another realm with Jesus as the head. And so today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor, my life's not right. I'm away from God. I have no peace. And what you spoke right now, I know. Listen, there's no two way that we are living in the last days. But I don't want to get you all rattled so that now you focus just on leaving this world and being raptured. We still got business to do for God. We still got business to do for God. You say, but pastor, aren't you worried about the rapture? Aren't you concerned about it? Aren't you following? Listen, when that happens, I'll be ready. But until such time, I continue as I do. I occupy, I advance the kingdom. I'm into kingdom business. My light is shining. Your light is shining. We are the fragrance of Christ in this world. We are light shining in a dark place. We still pray for the sick and see them healed. We cast out devils. We do all that Jesus did, and we will carry on until He comes again. All right? Praise God.
So you're out there, you say, I need Jesus. My life's not right. Can you pray for me? I will gladly do that. Right where you are, would you pray this prayer? Say after me, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name, just as I am, just as I am, Lord, with all of my faults, all of my weirdness, all of my failures, all of my emptiness, all of my sin, I come to you. I'm sorry. I repent right now. With my heart, I believe. With my mouth, I confess that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your blood that cleanses me and washes me. And I am born again. I am now a citizen of heaven. I'm part of the kingdom. I'm part of a royal family. I belong to you, God, and I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord, family. I want to thank you for taking time to watch us. I know that a time has run along, but I want to pray right now. Whatever your need is, whatever you, wherever you're at right now, I don't know what you're going through. And I know that there's so many things happening in our day and age. We're living in this pandemic, and perhaps you've lost a loved one. I don't know what it is, but I trust and believe that this message would have brought hope to you. And I want to pray. Father, I thank you for every person watching right now, no matter where they may be at, that this word, you said your word would not return void unto you, Lord, but that it would strike deep and has struck deep today that there is a chord that has been struck in the hearts of men and women. There is something that resonates within their hearts today because it is spirit unto spirit, God. Not by my might, nor by my power, but by the power of the Holy Ghost, by the anointing of the Spirit of God. And Lord, just like that rock smote the iron and the clay and the feet and the toes, I want to thank you that Christ the rock through this word has crushed every idol, crushed every work of darkness, crushed every form of oppression, every form, God, of, of depression where the enemy has robbed the joy of the Lord, robbed the peace of God, robbed and sucked out the oil of gladness. Thank you that this rock I just see this rock coming and striking those places where the enemy has laid a hold of your life. In the area of minds right now, that rock is breaking every negative thought pattern, every cyclical habit that would always cause you to stumble. That rock comes and it smites in Jesus' name every stronghold right now. Lord, I see even financial strongholds where there is a block and there's no finance coming, but that rock has come and it's struck right in that place that has been blocked and stifled. And I command that resources will begin to flow right now, right now. Businesses that have been shut off and and, and, and severed as a result of what happened here three weeks ago. God, I see that rock smiting. And as that rock smites, it's almost like drilling for oil. There's new oil. 
There's new resources. It's not going to be like the way you thought it was going to be, but that rock is bringing, is making new roads, new roads right now. New roads are coming in. That rock is pioneering for you a new way of thinking, a new way of doing business right now in the mighty name of Jesus. That rock comes and strikes every form of opposition, everybody that's opposed you. That rock smites every form of opposition in the mighty name of Jesus. I see that rock smiting words that have been spoken against you. I see even curses and incantations that have been uttered against you, that that rock comes flying in the air and it smites all of those curses. It smites all of that, of that which has been performed ritualistically against you. And God says, if God be for you, who can be against you today? Lord, I thank you. Bless your people today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Family, thank you so much for this wonderful time. I do trust that you've been blessed by this word. All right. Until next time, we love you. Goodbye and God bless you.